Huh. The fish are kind of staring at me. Is it a good stare or a bad stare? I don't know. It's it's weird. It's just like a dozen sets of tiny eyes just all kind of pressed up against the glass. Just looking at me. Just judging me. Like, you turn off our air filter for this? For this podcast? I know. I make them star- or drown or suff- suffocate? What what the fuck does a filter do? I mean, it gives them more oxygen. Uh, you know what? I'm gonna send myself a note. Don't plug in the fish. Make them suffer. I'm trying to figure out... I mean, obviously it's, like, bad for them, but how would it feel? Like, I suspect it's like if someone farts in a room you're in, and no one opens up a window. Uh, I, I can see that being a description of our content. Welcome to Brokazatsu, two brothers' exploration of tokazatsu shows and related media. My name's Sam. And I'm Harry. And I would kind of like to apologize to anyone who was subjected to us screaming about the latest Star Wars movie for most of an hour last time. I, it's a weird thing, because if you haven't seen it, that discussion is incomprehensible. But if you have seen it, have seen it you had to see it. So, like, there's no good... There's no good uh, case there. Well, Harry, as we're finding out, there's like a there's a hard 50-50 split in the nerd community of the last Star Wars movie was utter garbage and the last Star Wars movie was utterly perfect, which is kind of baffling to me. Just like not not since the 2016 election has such an obvious choice been like so hardly schismed in a group. And I would like to apologize to our listeners for getting political. Uh <laughs> Um, hey, I did say which side we supported. Uh, actually, oh. well, kind of neither, but yeah, fuck it. I mean, we've, we've uh, I don't know, we've talked about how we want good LGBT representation, so I think that's a pretty good sign of, like, our, our general leaning. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure, yeah, just uh, our general leaning is we try not to be assholes. Yeah. Uh, boy, mm, but I wonder how much of that I'm going to cut. Anyway, uh... <laughs> God, where was I? Oh, yeah. Uh, so the main thing is that I'm, I'm going to try to cut down a little bit on the Star Wars talk, because really, we've been chatting on it forever. So let's get back to talking about what we're supposed to be talking to about Kamen Rider, specifically Kamen Rider Zero One. Followed by Kamen Rider Kuga. Yeah. Uh, last time I said we were just doing Kuga, but we ended up also doing a Zero One this time. So, you know, if there's time codes and stuff, so you can come back to our Zero One coverage or you can uh, just pause it and watch it. I mean, it, you, you're a grown up. You know how to do it. Uh, and, you, you know, we don't have a plan. Much like J.J. Abrams. Uh, Sam, la- la- I just, I just... Harry, you lobbed it up. You lobbed it up. <laughs> no, Sam, by that standard, anytime we're talking about something being bad or not making sense, we're going to be lobbing it up. Like, we need to have a... that. You get one. You get one, Sam, and that's your one for this episode. Fine. Uh, speaking of one, we're covering Kamen Rider Zero One, episode 16. Hey. The Rise of Zaya. We begin uh, with Izu in the data stream. Is it the afterlife? What the hell is going on? She doesn't know. We don't know. This is all new and novel to everyone. She's kind of glitching out and realizing, oh, I don't know what's going on. Uh, Zaya, what, what's happening to me? And she gets a flashback to, oh, yeah, I got stabbed with a hack tentacle and Aruto put me in the printer to hopefully be fixed while he's off fighting Metsubo Jinrai. 
a totally final confrotation with them forever. Totes, totes. This is this is the end, Harry. This is the end of Metsubo Jinrai. Huh? They don't uh, they they don't have upgrades still coming in the show. Yeah, this isn't episode sixteen of a forty something episode series. The heroes are gonna win, and we're just gonna be on the beach for the next thirty episodes. It's just thirty episodes of paperwork and patting on the back. And it's just, you know, fun antics between Aruto and Izu, which I you know what I'd, I'd watch that. I'd watch a half dozen episodes of that, at least. It would be nice if things exploded eventually. Sure, sure. Uh, but yeah, things are exploding. Uh, specifically, uh, in the fight between uh, Aruto and Jin, uh, Aruto's uh, just kind of taking out a lot of minor gears, um, while he and Jin kind of uh, do battle in downtown whatever the hell city this is. Yeah, he, and he is in Shining Assault Hopper mode, the... Combination of Shining Hopper and the Assault Grip that Fuwa stole from the Metsubo Genrai dudes. And it is pretty powerful at the moment. Yes. Uh, Fuwa and uh, Yua are still uh, pretty beat up. They're lying on the ground. And they're talking about Satellite Zio, uh, which is apparently a big uh, AI construct. And then uh, as... Yeah, it's the same one that's been mentioned by name in pretty much every episode since the start of the series. The Heat and Intelligence satellite that's in charge of the Human Gears. Wait, is, is it that one? I thought that they were talking about another satellite. Nope, Satellite Zaya. That's, uh, they keep saying, like, connection to Satellite Zaya, updates from Satellite Zaya. Oh, really? God damn it, Harry, yep. was I supposed to be learning the names of the satellites? I barely okay. learned the names of the episodes of the characters. I'm still right not up. sure how to spell Yua's name, and I see it spelled out, like, ten times each episode. It's also just three letters, I think. Is it... Um, yeah, it, it's just Yua, yeah, Y-U-A, it's three letters. Look, there, there's a easy way to keep it, uh, there's actually a weird theming with the names. So Satellite Zaya is there, there kind of to Zaya. Izu is is, and her brother Wazu was was. Uh, Fua is who, uh, who are, and Yua is you are. Uh, like, there's a whole thing, and that's kind of a thing where, um, President... Uh, Korinosuke Hiden, his name is like original, and his father is like high something, and Aruto means like alternate. I don't know. Wait, is, is does this matter? Like, this does seem like a show rich on symbolism. Harry, are you dropping this bomb on me like 16 episodes in that the names for the different characters like translate into like thematic things that we're supposed to be tracking? So, so, well, but yeah, I did, I'm waiting 16 episodes because that's how long it takes for you to know the name of the fucking satellite that's in charge of everything. Oh, I, I'm still going to forget this by next episode, Harry. Okay, so, all right. Okay, so it's Satellite Zio. That's the good satellite that they know about. It's not the, the underwater satellite that they might not know about? No, the bad one is the Ark. The Ark, okay. I thought that Zio was the Ark. All right. Okay, I'm on so, board so now. Zaya is good satellite, Ark is bad satellite. But they work uh, together, Harry. Well, sometimes the truth is somewhere in the middle. I don't know. <sighs> Look, the, we're, we're getting weird with the politics of this show. Anyway, uh, Fua and Fua and Yor are like, oh, I guess the AI knew this was going to happen. He's really playing by his own rules. Um, Jin is still shouting about how humanity is going to need to go extinct. And then a Geiger ground pounds Aruto. And then another. Yeah, they're... They're full on uh, taking him down with a, a person on foot. They're hitting him with mechs. And as he's being occupied, uh, Jin 
says, let's let's get him Hirobi, loads Hirobi's poison gear, uh, or his poison key into the shotgun, and blasts Aruto right in the back with it. Yep, straight in the spine. Uh, which sends Aruto straight into the Matrix space. He yes. really could go there easily, like a normal human can. I know. I is he a human gear? Like I, I prefer if he was human because you know if if he turns out to be a human gear who likes human gears, then that's less impactful than a human who likes human gears. I maintain. I think he's some kind of weird hybrid. Like he is the missing link between the two. He's he is the he's the savior between humanity and uh, something beyond. So maybe his daddy human gear actually was his daddy, and Mama was. You know, let's not think about that. I'm sure the show has an answer somewhere. Aruto and Izu, they talk in the Matrix, and Aruto is really happy to see Izu. So, they picky swear about him not dying. Uh, Izu helps him, and then they activate this shining... uh, Activate shining system, which makes Aruto look like that lol character who has, like, knives floating around her head. Yeah, he gets another, like... (laughs) So he got the Shining Hopper upgrade, then he got Shining Assault Hopper, and even within Shining Assault Hopper, there's layers of upgrades within it, because now he just has Gradius options floating around him. I think there's literally going to be, like, a power upgrade every single episode, Harry. Like, that that's just the, that's the format of the show. Every new episode is a new toy for them to sell. But yeah, he, he has, he breaks out of the building where he had been stomped on by the Giger, and now he just has flying Gundam funnels, shooting lasers and creating energy fields in midair. It's it's real strong. So he has taken out the Geigers, and Jin is actually starting to question things. Like, he's asking some hard questions of himself, and Aruto's making him feel bad, but it's kind of a little too late. Because they're in the middle of the fight, one of them's going down. Both Aruto and Jin do flying kicks at each other. They both strike poses, but then Jin explodes. Jin... His last thing was basically saying, I don't even know why we're doing this. It's just what Hirobi taught me. And Aruto... Oh, really? That, this. that was the translation? Because on my translation, the last thing he said was, per the will of the Ark. Well, I mean, I, I'm going back a little bit for a conversation you skipped, but <clears> Aruto <throat> says, like, hey, why are you even doing this? What's humanity done wrong? And Jin says, I, I don't know. It's what Hirobi taught me. And Aruto has a moment where he says, you're really dedicated if your learning phase hadn't been steeped in violence, maybe we wouldn't have to fight. I really hope someday humanity and human gears can smile and laugh together. And then they, and then he, then they do the finishers. Yeah. And then Jin is dead. And uh, Harry, the, the villains are dead. So the show's over. Yeah. Yeah. It was a good 16 episode run. And uh, hey, Metsubo Jin ride defeated a little faster than anticipated, but now we get to spend time at the beach. Yep. Uh, and we even get to hang out because it's Christmas. And nothing bad happens on Christmas. No, nothing. Uh, a- asterisk. So the writer for this series also wrote Commodore Rider X-Aid. And that series was kind of, a, kind of infamous for a Christmas episode where things were resolved like halfway through. And things appeared to be going good. Then a villain showed up at the end and killed one of the side characters. So for the rest of this episode, Sam, my blood was full on clenching for, oh god, he was about to die. <laughs> I mean, it might, might still happen. Uh, she does, I mean, minor spoiler, she lives through this episode, but ugh, she's starting to, grr, uh, the show, it, it's turning its eye on you uh, in, in ways that make me feel uncomfortable, Harry. Yeah, but no, 
Uh, Jin takes down, he explodes, and Aruto, very specifically, gets his progress key. Mm-hmm. Which means, by the rules of the show, that uh, Jin's data is still in there. He could be reconstructed later, which I'm, I kind of suspect that's what's going to happen. Oh, interesting. I, d- I hadn't considered that. I just thought that Aruto got his flying form back. No, but that, yeah, I mean, that's how they remade the Dodo guy. So Jin is still in there. All right. Uh, but yeah, so now after this, we flash back to Guy, uh, who's in the Metsubo base, and he's looking all villainous. The Ark's 3D printer thing, it made a couple of progress keys. And Guy is very happy to get them, saying things will proceed at a thousand percent pace. <laughs> all about those percentages. Uh, so back in uh, HQ, Izu is back, and she's very grateful for being repaired. She does a little mobility test, which is walking a little bit and then doing the silly poses that Aruto's taught her. They, they're really growing together. It's fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really love the chemistry between these two. But unfortunately, it is time for an emergency board meeting. Uh, he's And Aruto is going to face the music. He's going to take responsibility and, you know, whatever happens, he's going to accept it. So they go down. Uh, it's the vice president and a bunch of grim-faced investors and things like that. And it's time to vote to see if Aruto is going to be kicked out as CEO. The vice president happily throws up his hand, and then his assistant kind of elbows him and says, Sir, read the fucking room! Yeah, because he looks up, and his hand is the only one raised. He kind of twitches and says, like, oh, no, I'm, I'm scratching my head. No, never mind. Yeah, it turns out that all the investors kind of love having a superhero CEO. Yeah, and the... The vice president's, like, crony under him kind of flips here, saying, yeah, the, Mr. President, it's exactly as the old CEO said. We went through a crisis, and you you got the belt, you went out there, you took down Metsubojinright.net, you've saved the company, you're doing great. Let's, let's do a round of applause. You know, it's a power play that kind of went bad, so they have to backtrack, they have to save face, and so they have to get on his good side uh, so that they can maintain their own position to take him down in the future, which I'm sure is their plan now. Uh, but yeah, uh, the board is happy. Everyone's happy. The bad guys are defeated. What what could possibly go wrong, Harry? So the the news is talking about how the the uh, military agency Ames has confirmed Metsubo Genrai has been dismantled. So human gears will no longer go berserk. Uh, Yua and Fua, they're uh, hanging out, uh, snapping back and forth, uh, and they're in the Ames base. And guess who's there? It's the body of Hirobe. Uh, Yua is, she's set to go back to Zaya Enterprises, and Fu is surprised, because she seemed pretty interesting in poking through Hirobe's body earlier. Like, and uh, as Yua goes to leave, he starts getting introspective. Like, I, I wonder why I was even fighting. I hated Matsubojinride.net for so long, but now all I see is a lump of broken metal. <laughs> Uh, so now we get to see Guy just kind of villain vamp in front of Yua for a bit. He says that he controls the Ark, that he was the one behind it this entire time. He was the one who turned the fucking Ark against the humans. Like, I mean, I'm not sure how much of this he's admitting to, but he does say, I developed the Ark, it was going to be put into orbit and, and be in control of human gears. And I kind of fed it just a series of data about how humans are warlike and... I inputted it with criminal psychology and talked about how we're always just doing endless war. And so it uh, decided to hate humanity. And that's the arc. You know that scene in the fifth element where it's like, 
uh, towards the end of the movie and uh, Lilo, she's like going through the dictionary this entire time and she finally lands on W and goes to the word war and she just gets shell-shocked with what she sees. Yeah, I, I was more thinking of uh, Ultron from Age of Ultron where because of what Tony Stark says, the first things the AI researches is World War II. Uh, turns out Guy was the one behind it all the time. Do it's a little hard to read. So he intentionally turned it against humans. Is that what he's admitting to now? I, I'm not sure exactly what he's. What is to, his but... plan? Like, does he have a plan, Harry? Um. Well, I think he's. It may be involving driving down the stock of heated intelligence so he could buy it out. But this was okay. Also, just something for the back of my mind. Like, guy is. How old is his actor? Because he looks like a baby face. He looks like he's in his 20s. Didn't the, didn't the satellite crash, like, over a dozen years ago? Yeah, uh, 12 years ago. So, was he, like, a 16-year-old prodigy working on this project at Titan Intelligence? Or is this another Huey Gear? Uh, I'm going to Google the age of the actor. Okay. Da -da 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 -da. I will add this to be shorter. He was born in 1997. He's 22 years old. Hot damn. So. That's even younger than I thought. Yeah, he would have been nine if we're going, if we're kind of doing it relative to after years. So is he a human gear or is this Dawson's casting or reverse Dawson's casting? It's it's like, remember, uh, he did Aruto is younger than his character. Right. I totally wouldn't be shocked if the show cast someone that weirdly, but it, it would make a lot of sense if he's just a robot or something. Well, I mean, Harry, uh, let's let's play some bets. You know, we placed bets originally about all the other characters. I don't think we did Guy because Guy wasn't an entity uh, by the time we were making that bet. I think I kind of dithered and you didn't know enough to say, so... So are we saying Humagear or not Humagear? Before, I thought someone was a human and they weren't. So now I'm going to say Humagear. Okay. Are you are you taking the opposite approach or do you agree? I, as well, am going to say Humagear. In fact, I'm going to say that he was the one in the scorpion armor uh, that destroyed Daybreak City. Okay, but here's a... All right, so we both think he's a Humagear. Let's talk about this. Do we think he knows he's a Humagear? Yes. Hmm... I don't know. It might be interesting to say he doesn't know. Okay. Because there's got to be at least one person who doesn't know they're, they're a human gear. That's going to happen somewhere. No, it doesn't make sense for Fua. I'm, I'm saying it's Guy. You're saying it's Guy. So Guy is the secret uh, human gear. You know, it could be Yua. No, I don't think it's Yua. Well, it's got to be someone, Harry, and there's only so many characters. Yeah, that's why I'm saying it's Guy. Uh, and also Arto, kind of. <laughs> Um, well, you're saying anyway. he's a half human gear, but whatever. So Yua gets a little pissed, saying, hey, you used Hiden and Mitsubo Jinrai as pawns in your game. Like, we're out there risking our lives. But Guy says, no, no, no. The war is still ongoing, and I'm counting on you to be my right hand. And Yua says, yes, sir. But her hand is doing the angry grip of her pants. Like, she's she doesn't like the situation. Uh, as this conversation is going on, we get some flashes to outside where a mantis starts to randomly fight a crowd. It turns out that uh, some of the human gears uh, have turned. Um, a little unclear on what 
caused them to transform because before they needed, you know, to be infected by a, Matsub- a Metsubo Jinrai person. And to my knowledge, there aren't any operating in the field presently. Yeah, every time before we saw the human gear that they used to be, like, we saw the belt gang slapped on them and we saw them transforming. Here, they just show up and it's the Mantis one from the first episode and a the kind of mid-evolved version of the Dodo that doesn't have the extra gear but has two swords. So yeah, we see Afua and Ruto versus the berserking human gears. They jump in. Afua's uh, shouting at Ruto, What the hell happened? I thought you destroyed Metsubo Jinrai. Yeah, and he doesn't know either, but whatever. They're, they're going to transform. Fua does grab back the assault grip thing for his uh, assault wolf. Mm-hmm. Good good job, Fua. That mode does kill you, but sure, keep using it. Kills him, but not Aruto for some reason. Yeah, Aruto was totally fine. So after they destroy these guys, uh, there is an emergency press conference time. And of course it goes bad. The press is like, hey, you said you had this under control, bitch. Uh, why is this happening? Is Metsubo Jinrai still active? Uh, is there a fundamental flaw in human gear security? Even though this is going to turn out to be some kind of weird trick, I do think the answer is yes. Oh, yeah, clearly. I mean, like if, a- Harry, if a human gears could be remote controlled by, like, an AI satellite, yes, there is a fundamental flaw in human gear security. I, there was that one episode where hospital human gears could be on isolated systems and not really hackable, and they haven't seemed to try to expand that technology in any way. Oh, but didn't they end up hacking those people anyway? Like, through well, the Geigers? Yeah. yeah, well, they needed a giant mech to punch a hole in the building and hack directly into the server. And they haven't needed to do that other times. Uh, fair enough. But, yeah, as uh, as the press conference reaches its uh, peak badness, a guy does a power walk up in his white suit. His white suit of villainy. President Hiden Aruto, how long do you intend to cling to, cling to this dream? Ladies and gentlemen... These human gears that pose a threat of losing control and the company that continues to sell them hidden intelligence cannot be ignored. Zai Enterprises is here to make a public statement. We are presenting hidden intelligence with a TOB. And everyone gasps, a TOB. The vice president gasps, TOB. Aruto slides over in his chair and asks Izu what a TOB is. To which she says, a takeover bid. Yeah, they're they're trying to do a hostile takeover. Mm-hmm. Now, a clever person, a.k.a. not Aruto, Aruto is very smart, uh, but he is not street smart. A street smart person would immediately shoot back a guy, hey, how are you here so fast? There's lots of ways Aruto could be pointing this out, but I, I feel like it's in his character to like be a little surprised at the situation. I mean, he, I, I think he's going to take it a little bit to figure out what to do here, but I do think he's going to start fighting this pretty well. Mm-hmm. But at the moment, he's just kind of uh, stuttering and saying, like, hey, I'm in charge of the company. You can't do this. Uh, And as he's saying this, we cut back to Hirobe in the Ames Intelligence place, who opens his eyes. And the final shot is Guy sitting alone in his office, picking up his obvious transformation device and saying, I'm a thousand percent sure this is the dawn of my new era. So next episode, I'm looking at the preview. We are going to see uh, Amatu Guy in his transformed state using his transformation device that has a name so ridiculous, I can't wait to be able to talk about it. Oh, God. All right, I'm looking forward to that, Harry. But yeah, um, I'm not sure what to think about this episode. Like, it it feels like a weird... On the one hand, like, not much happened. 
But on the other, like, this is definitely, like, the shift, like, the series twist. And so twist episodes, those are always, frankly, a little awkward. I mean, last episode was kind of an episode and a half. Because, uh, like, the basically the plot from that one was resolved halfway through in this one. And then they just finally dropped the thing of Guy coming forward and in the public sphere starting to take on Hidden Intelligence. So Guy has officially announced himself as the villain for the back end of the series, or at least this next arc of the series. There might still be additional villains yet down the road. Like, will he be will he be the final dude or will he be like the weather dupont? And then in the last third of the show, there's some other thing that happens. Maybe the arc will become sentient all its own and create its own like super powered army. I don't know. Yeah, like he's using the arc to drive down hidden intelligence's stocks or whatever. But then it's like, oh, I did it too much. Um, it's going to eat everything. It's it's exactly like uh, uh, the guy from Garo, the one who shines in the dark, mm-hmm. the, the super villain who took over the city through the power of nepotism and being unassuming. Yeah, I mean, they're writing this guy like so guy he's being written and you know why he's being written for like he's all about percentages. He's all about precision. He's running his Xanatos gambits. Of course, it's going to come crashing down like it's. His shit's gonna go bad. It's going to lose... He's going to lose control of it and not know what to do, and he's gonna flounder. He's a pompous idiot that's... It, he's gonna fall down in an amazing way, and... All right, I'm just I'm just gonna bring this up now. Sam, the name of his transformation device is the Thousand Jacker. Oh my god, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful, Harry. That is so beautiful. He's he's the biggest tech jack off of, of forever. He's gonna create the new better robots, and he's gonna be the new better version of Common Rider. Oh, uh, so the guy who just jerks himself off all the time through his speeches and villainy, he literally named his belt after jerking off. That is that is beautiful. It's it's almost a redeeming thing if he knows exactly what he's doing. Oh, Harry, like I wish there was, like, a native Japanese speaker that we could talk to to figure out, like, that that can't mean that in Japan, right? There's no possible way that they have the same slang term for that, right? Yeah, it, it's gotta be different. It's just wonderful serendipity that it translated to that in English. It's great. <sighs> so, yeah, that's Kamen Rider Zero One. Uh, but, uh, we decided to, uh, for like, a, our monthly breakouts, we were trying to do samples of other stuff. And right now we are going to, using music I haven't chosen yet, cause we're only going to use it once. So I'm not sure what to do about that. Maybe I'll just do something copyright. Cause. Is there like the opening up, theme of a uh, copyright or Kuga, Harry? I mean, I, yeah, we could do that. But so far I've, I've never, I've always done something else for the songs and I don't know, I'm, maybe I'll. Uh, inter- oh. interstitial music like this, introducing a topic that you are having a detailed conversation is 100% fair use. That is one of the explicit examples of a fair use thing. So just use like 10 seconds of Kuga music. Does it have to be Kuga music, though? Nah. Okay.
that was the Beatles. Um. <laughs> uh, so, yep, yeah, Kamen Rider Kuga. If you'll remember, way back at the start of the series, Sam, this was one of the two options of shows I considered us starting first. It was this or Kamen Rider Double. Thank God we went with Double, Harry. Thank well, well, God we went with Double. Well, Sam, I certainly I certainly like Kamen Rider Double. I think it's a good show, and there's lots of reasons why I chose it. I certainly don't regret it, but I do have to say, Sam, this is a beloved series. It's it's basically universally liked by fans and things like that, so uh, I'm just going to take a long drink of water, and while I'm doing that, you tell the audience what you thought of the show. Uh, gotta be honest, fam. This one was pretty boring. Like, it's... <clears throat> Spit. <laughs> Hold on. I'm not. A, I'm not a fully expert. I don't actually want to spit on my mic. <laughs> it's just this. This lacks the energy. It lacked the focus. It lacked the direction of some of the later common writers. It was. It. It just. I, I'll. I'll give it this. Like overall. I liked the stunt work in this. Like that was definitely something I noticed. Like there was actual vehicle stunts that they were doing uh in this show which you know was kind of impressive for the budget it was working on also probably horrifyingly dangerous to the people involved uh, oh, you have no idea like in episodes three and four uh when he first gets his super bike there's a fight scene where he's fighting a cheetah monster and it's running upstairs and the stunt actor is driving up staircases and bashing against the monster as it does it wow okay there's a monster later that is kind of an evil dark rifle of his that also has a motorcycle, and they have, like, a motorcycle fight. Yeah, uh, did, did stud people... Uh, I don't want to ask if stud people died during the show, Harry, because, like, because I kind of don't want to know the answer to the question, but that's going to be in the back of my mind. Uh, well, one person... <laughs> one person definitely did die shortly before the show started, uh, as the episode one begins with a dedication to their mentor, Shotaro Ishinomori. Uh, this is the last series that he, he was involved kind of in the creative level. I'm not sure how deeply. I've heard varying reports. But yeah, he was involved in the concept. The Kamen Rider was gone, going for a while. Then it kind of stopped. But they revived it just in time for the year 2000. So yeah. Uh, also, uh, before we get into this, uh, the video that we were watching, it reminded us to please watch it well with Lit Room and stay away from your screen as you watch the show. To which I just got to say, fuck you, video. Don't tell me what to do. You're, you're not our boss. I'm going to sit four inches away from the screen. In a dark room. Yeah, this uh, the series starts off uh, like any number of Indiana Jones movies, like uh, like a The Mummy movie. Uh, yeah, let's actually stick with uh, The Mummy, the uh, Tom Cruise 2018 what, whatever movie. Where... Oh, the Tom Cruise one? Not even the Brendan Fraser? Uh, let's go with the Tom Cruise one, uh, because it takes place in modern times. And they unbury a mummy, and all the archaeologists who are involved in it are killed. So that seems more appropriate, Harry. Well, it it's it starts, and uh, the archaeologists they're looking at a tomb, and they're saying, "Hey, you, you don't think there's warnings and stuff on this saying touch it and be cursed?" And the leader says, "Eh, we already touched it, so just go ahead." So it starts out, and the set, the set design, like they get better at. It's strange, Harry. Like this whole series, it just. It feels like a trial run, like, and and I get it. Like, there's there's heart in this series, but it's very much they haven't learned their lessons yet, so they're in the process of making things better. 
So oh, there's yeah, a lot of stuff that's really rough in it. Yeah, it's it's prototypical. Or, oh no, it's like it's a it's a bit of a prototype because they hadn't done this for years. And later on, series we've seen are much more toyetic and kind of like they're they're building on the foundation that started with this one. But this one, it's kind of slow and sedate. And for the the main character, it's a pretty simple, uh, just real nice guy. And like I, I showed this to Dad once actually, Sam. And this next scene, he looked at it and said, "Oh, this is the this is the good guy, right?" <laughs> yes. We cut to the uh, after we see the uh, archaeologist kind of digging in a very, very '90s TV budget uh, tomb. Yeah, Xena Warrior Princess level effects, let's say. With even yeah, Xena Warrior Princess like level sets, uh, without the Xena Warrior Princess uh, lighting and uh, camera work. We go to an airport where Godayusuke is giving an encouraging speech to a young child. Random crying child, main character, just hanging out with him. Not the best look to be starting out a series on. Uh, but I mentioned, but uh, at the start of Gaim, they directly reference this with Kota showing up and telling a kid, hey, you, you gotta try to get out of situations. But uh, Godai, he's saying, hey, uh, I always thought it was cool if someone could still smile, even if things were at their worst. You know, one time I was I was in a mountain in Nepal, and I thought I was going to die, but this local kid just smiled and said everything was going to be okay. Harry, I, I want to just run it through a scenario in your head where you come across a crying child in the middle of a street, and you approach it, and you give him a, a monologue about a time where you almost died. Is there any good that would come of that? Well, he, he does start juggling a couple seconds later when the speech doesn't work. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, yeah, police come, the parents are there, uh, they get the kid back, and the hero is rewarded for his juggling and inappropriate speeches to children. And welcome main character! Uh, so, he... Then he wanders off, there's a bit more of the archaeologist Seth the Dig, but uh, we see Godai, he's kind of... goes to this house and starts climbing up the outside and sticking in a window... Yes, he climbs up and spooks his uh, friend, love interest, a little unclear with what we saw, uh, who is a grad student working at a university studying ancient languages. She is the person receiving uh, the video footage from the dig site and is trying to uh, figure out the uh, the translations uh, that are on the crypt. Yep, she's checking it against a catalog of other ancient languages to look for similarities, that, that type of stuff. And as she... And nothing's really coming up. Which is strange, because this is like an archaeological site like two miles outside the city limits. You would think that they would they would have a little bit of a handle on exactly what they had found. Well, in the dig, they were saying this is unlike anything we've seen before. But uh, midway through the conversation, a spooky mask looms up uh, behind the woman. And she just sighs and says, good eye. <laughs> it sucks that this is the first thing I have to say to you, but don't sneak in my, through my frickin' window. Yeah, main character has some boundary issues. He's just, he's a good-natured goof, and yeah, they're they're clearly long enough, long time enough friends that this is not like uh, out of the ordinary. So the main character, he's uh, looking at uh, some of these symbols, and he starts to have these strange flashes, like he's seeing uh, shadowy images of people fighting. They're just chatting about how you know, hey, I got this mask. It's a, uh, it's a keepsake from Nepal. Mm-hmm. Oh wait, no, it's from somewhere else. But anyway, uh, they're talking, but the computer beeps. Because it does, it did find some similarities in symbols. 
And they're basically just simple saying, hey, don't open this. It's dangerous. It'll kill you. Don't open this ever, ever, ever. Speaking of which, back at the archaeologist site, everyone's dead. Yeah. Like, as they decide to call them and say, hey, maybe we should warn them. The archaeology group is picking up the phone and screaming and they're being torn apart. And yeah. Yes. Uh, So uh, there's a cut to commercial. When we come back, uh, we get the intro of the sexy detective, who I got to assume might be the second writer later in the series. Uh, Ichijo. And I'll I'll say this because we're not covering the show in the full. He doesn't become a writer, but he does have a strong distinction is that in that he is by far the best cop I have ever seen in Toku. (laughs) Like he is hardworking. He is virtuous. He follows the rule like Kuga. All right. Because this show is kind of a prototype, and it's the first time they did stuff, in later series, a lot of the time, they would create drama by having the cops be angry and, like, not great at their jobs and having to be opposed by the main character. But in this show, Ichijo and uh, Godai, they meet up early, and they're based... Ichijo realizes, oh, this is a good guy, I just gotta help him fight these monster things, and they're best buds forever. Mm-hmm. So yeah, a very effective cop, and man, he's got them sexy cheekbones. Oh, yeah, like, we'll get into shipping at the end of episode two. So the detective uh, pulls uh, the main character and the main character's best friend. I'm not going to know anyone's names, by the way. Uh, he pulls them into a side room and he plays tape of the final recording of the archaeologists. And oh boy, there's a lot of crying and pleading and murdering for a children's show, Harry. Yeah, uh, th- there's a... there's a, it's, it's kind of funny, the way you see how Ichijo is competent is that Godai... He tries to pull the thing at the site of, hey, I'm sorry, I'm late. I'll just go in for work. And Ichijo grabs him and says, like, hey, no, show ID here or something. But yeah, once once things are settled down, uh, they see the footage of some weird monster guy bursting out of a coffin, tearing apart something in a different coffin, and angrily throwing a belt to the ground, yelling, Kuga! Now, the detective at this point makes a very questionable choice, which, I mean, it pays dividends, but uh, I still gotta be curious about like they recover this strange belt uh from the site of the of the archaeologist murders and he says that they're not really sure what to make of it so go ahead and hold on to it like this is murder evidence and they just tell two randos to be like here watch it for us well the thing he says is that you're the archaeology expert the only one who's not dead and something weird came out of that tomb so look at this figure out what's going on which it's it's not a terrible move. Like this is, it's kind of becoming a horror story, and the cop realizes that. It's like, no, no, figure out the secret, secret or whatever. Yes, and uh, it's around this time uh, that we get the Spider-Man Twin Towers uh, a trailer intro. Yeah, over the radio, it turns out that a spider guy has created a web between towers, and then he swoops down and just starts murdering cops. Like, so a a reason why maybe in later shows all the cops are bad is that all of the good cops were murdered in this series. There are so <laughs> many... Like, these monsters... Like, later Toku shows sometimes, in episode one of Double, like, a building was knocked down, and you're like, man, a lot of people sure died here. Sad. So, these monsters kill so many people in this series, most of them cops. Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely noticing that. So, I guess that would make sense if this is a shared universe. Like, <laughs> the reason we have incompetent police officers is because there's such huge turnover, because they all keep dying. Uh, it's just running around, tearing them apart. Uh, one cop tries to drive away, and the spider guy bursts into the car. And so we cut to the police station. The car 
bursts in it drives through the front of the building yeah this is that's a very dangerous stunt like there's a car crashing through glass doors into a crowded lobby and this is a tv show but like this this wasn't like a wide angle shot this is very much like there are actors there's a car coming at them and they need to dive the fuck out the way uh and the monster walks out of the car like on all fours and starts fighting people some more. And Godai looks over. He gets like another vision thing from the belt. And says. Alright I'm going to put that thing on. And he does. And he starts fighting the Spider-Man. And as he does so. Armor starts to flash onto him. Uh, and he transforms into the uh, growing form. Uh, not Not like the main form. Because we see that one next episode. Okay. Yeah, the growing form, it's kind of like, because he literally just put on the belt and doesn't really know how to use it, uh, it's the form he uses when he's weakened or something like that. Yeah, alright. So it, it it's just kind of shitty and not super great, but it's good enough to be kind of decent at fighting the monster. So yeah, they roll around the building, they fight on the roof, uh, there's a helicopter with the cop in there, they're shooting at the Spider-Man, and I don't think we mentioned this, but like, there's uh, shots of the CGI bullets going into the spider which causes dents and divots, and then the bullets just kind of fall off. So bullets do literally nothing to these monsters. The spider jumps up to the helicopter and is about to kill Ichijo, but then uh, Godai as Kuga jumps up and fights the thing and kicks him out. And when Ichijo says, "Did like earlier, he saw another one, he was like, oh, there's two monsters now, but he realizes this one saved him. Mm-hmm. And then Godai gives him a thumbs up. Yes, a thumbs is- up just as the sun set. Starts to pan behind the helicopter. Yep. This and is a this is going to be a theme uh, for the series. Like the weather and time of day changes dramatically depending on the state of the fight. And lots of thumbs up. But he just jumps out of the helicopter, and that's episode one. And the detective definitely uh, he recognized the thumbs up uh, from the main character previously, and so one of the final shots of him is like, "Wait, does this mean dot dot dot?" Episode two. There's a weird vampire monster in a, like, hanging around a church, attacking people. Yep, it's Batman slash Daredevil uh, coming off a church and eating people. I do like the very monstrous makeup in this series. Like, they, they really, they really monster and inhuman him up. Godai, he wakes up in a diner. Apparently he's been asleep for, like, 11 hours because transforming is, is hard work. Mm-hmm. So he starts carb loading. Yeah, just slam it on some curry. And his his uh, friend says, hey, wh- what what did you do? Like, are you OK? I thought you were going to turn to a monster and lose control. And Gunnar says, like, no, 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 no. Like, when I need to fight, I can change into that thing and I can change back when I'm done. But yeah, like it, it wasn't a great feeling. Like, I, I didn't like how it felt. And she says, like, what feeling? And he just turns one hand into a fist and kind of gently taps it against the table. Like, one of the main themes of the series is the kind of uh, corrupting effects of violence, even justified violence. And Godai is kind of one of the things we learn is he's the exact right person to have gotten this power. Well, that's nice. Yeah, he's just, he's a nice, he's, his superpower is that he's just a real nice dude. Uh, the police officer shows up at the diner, and uh, he pulls out the big character, and he starts to kind of... Uh, circularly ask him, so at the police station yesterday, I kind of noticed you went disappeared. To which the main character replies, oh, uh, I transformed into an armored warrior and fought off the monster. Yeah. And the cop goes, what? 
your your identified life form number two. <laughs> and God is like, that's the mouthful. I got to come up with a better name. Yeah, I just saw a vision out the ruins and put on the belt, and it kind of went inside me, like, uh, and he just makes some mouth noises. And Ichi just says, no, no okay, yeah, uh, you could have ended like, up like the monster. Just go get a physical, like, go see this one guy I know. Yeah, so the cop is looking after the main character, and that's, that's nice. We don't get around to the medical examiner in this episode, because they have to go deal with some new monster attacks. Which are happening at a Catholic church in Japan. Uh, the one Catholic church, and of course the bat monster goes there. Uh, speaking of the bat monster, he's hiding as a priest. Uh, the main character doesn't realize this. He shows up at the church to ask a couple questions, and the priest refuses to approach him, uh, where the windows are shining a light inside. It's the funniest thing. Like Outside, the cops are, are saying, yeah, uh, people have two holes in the neck and all their blood drained, and that's the only way they died. And when Godai hears that the priest inside the building, like he hasn't come out, maybe he's sick, he goes in to check, because he's nice. And the priest bursts out of ba- of the back room, basically hissing and stomping forward, and then there's like a bright window, and it shrieks back and hisses. And Godai just kind of says, well, okay, you seem fine, so I'm gonna leave. Uh, I wrote this down specifically, he says, I'm glad to see that you're okay. It's, it's just the first episode. He's not full in on being a super... Like, I think he knows something's weird here. I don't think he knows something's weird there, Harry. Yeah, I even think though it as he's, went totally over his head. Yeah, uh, as he's leaving, the guy does say something in a weird language that you can't understand, or can, depending on the subtitle track you're doing. Uh, it definitely was not translated on the subtitle. Like, uh, he was speaking in what sounded still like Japanese, but it was translated as complete gibberish. It's the same as the... Uh, the overlord language where it's just a kind of substitution cipher so same cadence same syllables just not uh officially japanese fair enough we jump to the night where there's uh, some more uh bad attacks on uh, uh some cops the cops are completely ineffective and then the main character shows up and uh, changes in front of the cops to fight the monster and he goes down like a bitch yeah the bat guy is pretty he's a bit stronger than before the, the spider guy, and uh, Godai is starting to lose. But one cop shows up and hits the bat with the bright lights of his headlights unintentionally, and the bat freaks out and runs away. Lots of weaknesses on uh, this guy. Yeah, like, the it, this is just straight-up headlights. Like, not UV headlights or anything, just regular car headlights. It's funny. So, Guma, that's the name of this uh, this monster. He's like, Something Zuguma Da, because there's a weird naming scheme for the monsters. He survives, but he gets so much shit from the other monsters for running away from his battle that he's kind of just treated like shit for the rest of the series, and everyone hates him and beats him up. <laughs> like it's it's kind of a weird warrior cult of uh murderers, murder monsters, and because he fucked up his job so bad, like no one likes him ever, but because he can't deal with bright lights. I mean, that's that's a valid complaint. Like, if you could be taken down by a flashlight. So, Godai, he apologizes to Ichijo, and Ichijo says, like, no, don't apologize, just don't get involved. You're a civilian, you can believe you have the power to fight, but it's not your job. Yes. Fighting these things is the job of the police. Take this seriously, or butt out. It's some good advice. Although he is telling someone to take uh, things seriously when that person is wearing a puka necklace, so it's just not going to stick. 
Godai, he has to think about it, and he kind of gets some motivation when he goes to the wake of all the people who got murdered last episode and sees the daughter super torn up, walking out and just crying on her own. At this point, the competent police officer goes back to the church with a shotgun to attack the vampire, because he has figured things out. Also, he thinks he's Van Helsing. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's a shotgun, so it's a level up from the pistol, but it still really doesn't work. Uh, bat guy transforms into a bat and starts and is about to murder him. Yeah, goes very poorly. Everything's on fire. But then the main character drives through the front door with his motorcycle and then he spins out the motorcycle in front of the monster. Uh, just clean, uh, just cleans about and it explodes at the front of the pews. I appreciate the practical, uh, the practical car stunts of the show. Yep. Uh, they're, they're very good looking. It's just, they're also kind of expensive. So they, they were cheaper later. But Godai says he's going to fight. He's not going to let them make anyone else cry. He's going to, he wants everyone to smile. So watch his transformation. And he does a henshin pose this time and transforms into mighty form, which is the red Kuga. Kind of the iconic basic one. Okay. I couldn't tell you the difference at all. I mean, we only watched two of the two parters and the other forms he has literally didn't show up. So it's, it's just uh, mighty form as far as we know. Fair enough. He has he has a ranged form, a defense form, or like a kind of jumpy spear form that doesn't get used much. He fights with a bat. Uh, the choreography leaves something to be desired. Like great on uh, great on car stunts, not so great on fight choreography in this series. Kuga, he's doing a lot better. His attacks are dealing more damage. But then the spider guy who isn't dead shows up, and it's two on one. So, yeah, uh, the spider punches the main character so hard, he punches him into daytime. The bat guy, uh, he's about to go in for the kill, but because it's daytime, he freaks out and has to run away. <laughs> uh, which leaves the main character to deal uh, with the spider guy alone, and the spider uh, and the main character figures out how to do some of his finishing moves. He kicks him so hard, his foot is on fire, and the spider guy explodes. Uh, the detective uh, was knocked out earlier in the fight. He was providing assistance, you know, shining flashlights and just being a distraction, uh, letting the main character survive the two-on-one battle. Uh, and the main character is carrying him away. Uh, the detective revives. He says, why by on your shoulder? I have never been more ashamed. Yeah, good. I just turned to him and says, oh, good morning, Mr. E.T. Joe. This is fine, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. All right. So they, this is the start of the Heisei era of Kamen Rider. But they already knew how to do the guy-on-guy shipping. Yeah. I will say both these guys, they got some sharp fucking cheekbones, Harry. They called the popularity of this show with the female audience the Onodera effect, because the Onodera is the name of uh, Godai's actor. <laughs> All right, so that's the first two episodes. Uh, we then watched episodes 11 and 12, which, um, oh boy, uh I, I missed so much context to this, Harry. I I mean, this is the teacher arc for anybody who knows about Kuga, and, like, it's... I, I think maybe you missed some of it, Sam, because Godai's built up as, like, such a nice, cool dude up to here. But, I mean, it, it's just, like, if you're going to watch a couple two-parters of Kuga, like, you would... This is one of the two to watch, so I'm going to defend this choice. I mean, I'm sure it's a fine choice, it's just... I I kind of got nothing from these two-parters, Harry. Like, all all that happened was, like, 
we start okay so we start episode 11 i mean we we can go we can go a little looser about this one because like uh there's there's two main themes of this of these episodes there's the the monster theme because there's a rhino guy that we'd seen in parts of the series he's one of the monster dudes and uh in this one he finally starts attacking people he's killing truck drivers and stuff but as that's all going on we see a school teacher He's a very sad-looking school teacher. Well, is is he a teacher or is he a principal? He he's a school teacher, but like a very senior uh, teacher, like respected by the other teachers. Yeah, he's been doing this for decades. Uh, but at the elementary school he's working at now, he just doesn't understand these dang kids. They they begged for these flower beds, but they're not watering them unless someone tells them to. They're they they just keep changing, and I don't know. Their parents don't understand them. Maybe it's the influence of those weird unidentified life forms that have killed like a thousand people by this point of the show. <laughs> uh, that would be pretty traumatic, yeah. It gets dire later in the series, but that's something for if you watch the whole series. So yeah, the principal or a teacher just doesn't understand, and he's losing faith in teaching. Uh, he's looking through old things and like he's looking through old books and stuff just for some nostalgia. And he sees in one uh, signed message from an old student, Godayusuke, that says, uh, thank you so much, Professor. Hey, what you said was really moving. Let's meet again in the year 2000. And the professor, for the life of him, can't remember what he said to cheer up this kid. <laughs> so let's talk about the Rhino, because I actually, you know, as much as the show kind of left me cold, I loved this Rhino character. <laughs> no, the the weird the weird uh, monster dudes, like, I'll, I'll just call them Grongi, because, you know, whatever, that's their name. Uh, the Grongi, in their human forms, their fashion is super amazing on point. Yeah, they're like, there's eye, there's eyeshadow everywhere. They're like, wearing leather, just like, hyper goth, and it's, it's amazing. And this Raido, this is like, one of the biggest, like, Japanese guys I've ever seen. Like, when he transforms... Into his like muscular rhino form, he gets smaller. Uh, like God, I'm just looking to see if I can find some good images of human form Grongi just to show you. Uh, but like they they always dress kind of themed to their animal forms. Like there's a squid guy who just has a big pointy hat. <laughs> there's uh there's a bee guy who just has a series. He's wearing a white a yellow jacket, but with leather belts just around him to have the stripes. You know, cat ladies with big nails and stuff. It's it's. It's great. Yeah, but this Rhino, he's he's got a leather jacket and an exposed chest, and he's kind of orange, or is he always in orange lighting? Like, a little hard to tell. I, I, think, I think it's mostly the lighting. Oh, and he has a big pompadour, kind of to look like the horn he has when he transforms. And just the sneer, like he turns his head and sneers at the camera, and it's great. And he just attacks truck drivers when they're kind of idling, because mm -hmm. he hates the noise. <sighs> We get some weird interstitials, like there's this rando white guy talking about digging up a second site. Like, th is is he the guy who becomes the second writer, Harry? No, th there's no second writer in this series. Oh, really? Huh. Yeah, it's it's just Kuga the whole way through. Like, uh, a reason why I didn't... So, Kuga, it's a good show, and like, I, I'm less harsh on the choreography and stuff. Like, I don't feel like it's that big a step down from the stuff we watch, but uh, it's, it's definitely simpler. The monsters... They they speak mostly in the other language, and when you get to their motivations, they're not at all complex. It's kind of the point that they're very brutal nihilists, and they they don't really have much of a motivation other than they like killing dudes. And 
stuff like that. And so it's it's just a bit of a soap opera where you slowly see the characters like develop over the show. It's it uh, that's what it is. Uh, and so John, the the white guy, he's just one of the people who's helping translate and doing some things and having minor romantic chemistry with uh, some of the other people. All right. So the uh, Rhino, he's continuing his rampage. Uh, eventually, he's surrounded by police, which, you know, sucks for the police. They're completely <laughs> wiped out. Yeah, we have them cornered. Uh, cut to Ichijo on the radio saying, what's going on now? Cut back to the police officers massacred. <laughs> then the main character shows up. And he just starts getting destroyed. Yeah. Uh, like, good eye. We, we see him briefly because he, he works at this curry shop. It's kind of just the place they hang out. Uh, Is that another reference happy. to Gaim? Uh, I mean, usually in most of the series we've seen, there's some kind of shop where they hang out. Like in O's, Sam, they're at uh, that Couscousier restaurant. In Gaim, they have uh, Charmant and Droopers and Double. They're mostly, I mean, they, they serve coffee and stuff in the place where they live so it's just there there's hangout places so in kuga it's this uh pole pole curry curry joint well that sounds delicious uh, oh yeah it, it it's great curry and uh good he's just real happy because he uh he's so looking forward to this meeting with a great guy from his past but he has to go fight a monster so he tells his his uh translator friend hey go go meet with him and tell him that i am coming i just gotta go kill a monster <laughs> So the fight does not go great, and in fact, as uh, episode 11 ends, uh, the Rhino has kind of chucked our main character skyward, and it is implied that he is impaled through the gut. Episode 12 starts, and Kuga kind of grabs the horn and barely gets away. Yes, there's a kick with the flaming foot, Uh, Rhino gets up, like... He's the first guy in the series who didn't immediately die from the finisher. The Rhino, he's about to charge our main character, but then this Shape of Water dude kind of shows up to fight the Rhino... And I was definitely missing context for this antagonism. Well, I, I mean, even if you'd been watching the show, you wouldn't understand it at this point. Like, there's some disputes. Like, it, you eventually find out the monsters are following kind of strict rules on who gets to go and kill humans at this point. And the rhino guy was kind of skipping in line because most of his friends are already dead. Like, he he's the last of, like, the low rank of dudes. Yeah, shortly after this, the monsters got to level up. Uh, So, uh, back with the teacher, like, the... Uh, the best friend and the old sad teacher, uh, they're hanging out. Like, uh, she realizes that this teacher is the person uh, that uh, main character sent her to meet with. Uh, and he he just, because they, they were on the same train, and they realize they're taking the same bus, the same secluded area. And the teacher, he goes to get some coffee and says, like, yeah, I've I've been a teacher for so long, and I used to work here, but I don't know, the the school says to give the kids space, the parents want grades, and I just don't know what to do for them, and you know, I feel like it's a fair decision that if this random person doesn't live up to this promise from 10 years ago, I'm just going to retire. <laughs> I I think he's just looking for an excuse to retire, Harry. Like, that's... He's having a crisis, you know? Well, that's the kind of declaration when you've already made up your mind, and you're just looking to justify it. Yeah, he's he's having a bad time, and he just... He needs something to grasp, grasp to. And so, when the translator lady says, yeah, no... Godai knew without anybody telling him, and he really wanted to come, but he has to he has to do some stuff. Like she she doesn't say explicitly fight a monster, although Godai of anybody has the least secret identity. Like he straight up tells the cop, hey, I'm Guga. The restaurant owner, even this episode, he says, like, yeah, the Godai, he he keeps talking about how he's some weird fighter guy, but he's just making it up. Like he he tells everyone and very few people believes him. <laughs> he he uh sews the Kuga symbol into his shirt. 
the teacher, he is re-energized talking with this girl. And he finally, he finally remembers what inspired, what inspired our main character so much. When he looks down at the drawing and he sees the thumbs up image. And he, like, so good eye, off to the side, he was thinking like, yeah, I gotta use my 107th skill to beat this rhino man. Sam, I'm not sure if you remembered, I talked about a hero who had 2,000 skills. That's Godai. Okay. I have no idea what that means. It it means that he made a promise to this teacher for the for the speech that uh, we're about to get that he was going to master 2,000 skills by the year 2000. And he's done it. Like, his, he was just about to not make his goal, but his 2,000th 2000, his 2000 skill is literally being Kuga and fighting monsters. Oh, that's a pretty good skill. It's helping a lot of people. And the teacher, he's reminded of a, a very important speech he gave to people. And every, all the fans, like, this is this is kind of the thesis statement of Godai as a character, how he, how he tries to help people. Do, do you want to give the speech, Sam? Yusuke Godai, do you know what this means? It came from ancient Rome. A sign of affirmation. A gesture that was made for those who have done the proper thing. Your aim should be, your, you should aim to be someone worthy of this. Losing one's father is surely a sad thing, but because of that, for your mother and your sister's smiles, become a man who will work hard to preserve them. Become a man who will always protect everyone's smiles. Don't you think that's truly a wonderful thing? I, as your teacher, think that it is. And he just breaks down crying at that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So that's where the thumbs up came from. Harry, do you know, like, are thumbs up not really a thing in Japan? It's like a thing in Japan, but he was going for more from, like, the ancient origin, which I've tried to research, and I don't think anyone's been able to find any evidence that this is actually true. Yeah, I think, uh, actually, contemporary evidence is that the thumbs up, thumbs down thing is totally a Hollywood thing. Yeah, but, I mean, I... I sure, I, like I mean, the... like, fine, whatever. Maybe it's right. <laughs> Of, of all the inaccurate things to believe about ancient civilizations, this one's pretty cool. It's a fairly harmless one. Uh, but yeah, the teacher, he is totes re-energized. He is totes going to continue teaching. And uh, yeah, back against the Rhino. So our main character had practiced uh, jump kicking trees for several hours. And so it is time for him to jump kick this Rhino. Yeah, because the secret to upgrade his super kick is a front flip. Great. Yeah, that that that's how physics works. Uh, and he, he kills the rhino. Yep. It, it, like, he, he knocks off its horn. Snaps it off, uh, sells it for medicine, and, uh, destroys the beast. Making the white rhino even more extinct. <laughs> We're all fans of here. And, uh, that's Kamen Rider Kuga. He, the final scene is him, like, uh, just at the, at night when the teacher was still waiting at the school. He goes there, and they're all super happy to see each other, and they just give the thumbs up. Cut to black. Cut to credits. And so that was, uh, yeah, I gotta be honest, Harry, if we had started with that series, might not have continued. I think we started right going with Kamen Rider Double because it's actually up-tempo and all that. Um, not sure I would have been able to survive an entire season of that. Yeah, I, I like Kuga, but I, I think that it's not like the right type of show for us to cover because we... Kind of cover in different ways when we focus on different things. Yeah. We did just, like, we need a dense show. We need something that we could really just pick apart. Uh, but if you are interested in some podcast-formed 
uh, coverage of Kamen Rider Kuga. There is another currently running Kamen Rider show that uh, I would recommend. Uh, Journey Through the Decacast, which is covering the first 10 years of Kamen Rider shows through the context of watching uh, Kamen Rider Decade, and whenever they mention another show, watching the entire show that they mentioned. like So they've done like three episodes of Decade and two whole other series. Right now, they're most of the way through Kiva, but they have covered all of Kamen Rider Kuga. And I've listened to it. It's it's a pretty good coverage, and I would recommend it. I have not listened to it. I'm going to assume that it's better than our coverage. Uh, I, I think it's about the same. <laughs> oh, well, that that's a pretty sick bird on the berry. Like, I, I like denigrating stuff as much as anything, but I feel like we bring a, a certain flair, you know? Sometimes, so that one time we did, uh, we, we sang a Steven Universe song with Kamen Rider lyrics cut out. Uh, that one time I edited together stuff to just roast you for not remembering things would shown in uh, the episode. Uh, we did that. We we have games. We have fun. We have like a dozen listeners. We're we're established podcasters, Harry. We're good at this. <laughs> we're good at this, damn it. And we're not getting better because we're already good. Yeah, no need for improvement here. Nailing it. We're we're fine. We're good. We love ourselves. And uh, so next week we're we're covering one episode of Common Rider Zero One and Two of Gaim, uh, seventeen and twenty nine and thirty respectively. And and Sam, you're probably gonna doubt things when you watch episode thirty of Gaim, but that is the right episode. I I it is definitely okay. Uh, and yeah, till next week, everyone. Just remember. Keep on dancing.